Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our ongoing conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Most of you who are listening to this podcast are some kind of preacher or teacher of the Bible. Uh, Maybe you're a pastor and you preach regularly in worship services and other contexts, or perhaps you're a Bible teacher. You lead a small group or a Sunday school class, or you teach children or teenagers. Uh, You're speaking at a children's camp or a vacation Bible school or a youth conference, something like that. So today, we want to talk about how to help you be a better communicator. And we're going to do that by talking about the importance of giving good illustrations in your preaching and teaching ministry. And in order to do that, I've invited a guest today, Dr. Jim Wilson, to talk with us about really doing good sermon and Bible teaching illustrations. Now, Dr. Wilson is the director of our Doctor of Ministry program here at Gateway and a professor of leadership formation. But specifically for today, it's important to note that for years, in fact, more than two decades, Dr. Wilson has been collecting sermon illustrations and publishing them. And not only that, but he's then been teaching people here at the seminary and in conferences and other contexts how to use this material well. He's actually published uh, nine books of sermon illustrations, plus he's now working on a 10th volume, and he maintains these illustrations at a location online called freshministry.org. Write that down somewhere, freshministry.org, where you can access all of the resources we're going to be talking about today. So, Jim... Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being on here today to talk about this important subject. Thank you, Dr. Orge. It's an honor to be here. Well, my first question for you is, what got you started collecting these now what must be thousands of sermon illustrations? Well, it happened uh, as a result of a casual conversation on a fishing trip with one of my editors. We're breaking for lunch. We're in my pickup talking. He had edited at Leadership Journal and then at Proclaim Magazine, and I'd written for him in both places. And I just said, what can two guys like us – now, remember, I'm in my mid-30s at this time. I said, what can two guys like us do to improve preaching in America? Now, that's a question that somebody in his 30s would ask, maybe in his 20s. Right. It's certainly not something I would ask today, but I genuinely thought I could do something, you know? And he said, you know, probably the best thing we could do is to get them to stop telling those old preacher stories and get them to do fresh sermon illustrations. And the second thing he said is to get them away from these structured three-point kind of sermons Mm -hmm. and allow the text to shape the sermon. In a lot of ways, that casual conversation has shaped my career Uh, because the one book, Impact Preaching, is all about allowing the text to shape the sermon. And now this book, that's the subject of the podcast, Illustrating Well, is about doing the task of illustrating well. And so uh, at the year 2000, I began freshministry.org and began publishing 30 fresh sermon illustrations per month, it was a subscription-based service then. Now it costs what, what they're worth. You can get them for free online. Uh, but back then, uh, there were no uh, subscription-based services at that time. We filled a niche. And uh, so that's the way it all began. And I continue to do that for 20 years. Well, where did you find 30 sermon illustrations a month for 20 years? Where are the sources that you consulted, the places you looked? 
Where did you find these illustrations? Well, uh, from current events. And so, um, you know, I just stayed current with what was happening. I learned quick to stay away from political issues and those kinds of things. Uh, but, uh, Dr. Orge, I was writing them for my own sermons. And what I found is the best time to write a sermon illustration is when you see it, not when you need it. Right. And so you were collecting these as you as you saw them and using them as you could in your own preaching and then expanding that out to other people's use as well. Yes. Now, you're right. You've written, as you said, you've written uh, this book, Illustrating Well, Preaching Sermons That Connect. And so I recommend that book to all of you that are listening that are really interested in delving deeply into this issue today. But in this book, uh, you've you, you make the case that illustrating well is an important part of preaching. So my question, Jim, is why? If the Scripture is sufficient, why do we need sermon illustrations? It's a great question. Um, the Scripture is sufficient, and there's, there's no even reason to debate that. But our understanding of the Scripture is not, and neither is our understanding of the culture or the times that the Scripture – that forms the Scripture's context – and for that reason, uh, we need illustrations because our congregations are not filled with biblically literate people That's per exactly se. That's right, yes. And so we need to connect. But beyond that, um, constant, uh, rigorous exposition uh, takes a, a great deal of concentration for the congregation and every now and then, you got to open up a window and let a little bit of fresh air in. At least that's what Spurgeon said. That's and right. he said that we need to interrupt our uh, profounder expositions uh, with illustrations. And so to some degree, it's allowed the mind to continue to take in the depth of the Scripture. I like what you said at the beginning. Uh, I've said it this way in my preaching classes. People often ask me, uh, how do you make the Bible relevant? And I always respond, I have no idea how to do that. The Bible already is relevant. What do you mean, make the Bible relevant? I don't know how to do that because I think it already is relevant. But what I can do with good illustrations is make the Bible more accessible. Yes. Where a person can actually understand the relevancy and see how that relevancy plays out in real life or how that relevancy connects to their life. And so I agree with you. The text is sufficient, Scripture is sufficient, and communicating the message of Scripture is the primary task of the preacher. And like you said, the text should shape the message, and the message should flow out of the text. But that doesn't dis discount the importance of good illustrations to make the Scripture more accessible. And then your second comment about giving people what some might call a brain break or some might call a, a, a shifted perspective is a good purpose and good use of illustrations, where a person is really concentrating on what you're saying about the text, and then the illustration just shifts their focus and gives them a new way of seeing it, and especially in a world today that's driven by electronic media that moves so quickly, sermon illustrations help to tap into that need for people to re-engage as you're teaching and communicating with them through a text. Well, what then are some characteristics of effective sermon illustrations? What makes a good one? Well, let me offer four. One of them is there would be something that's familiar to the audience that's hearing it. Um, uh, probably the worst ser sermon illustration for me being in the audience is start talking sci-fi. Don't know, don't care, you've lost me. 
And so if it's not a world you're familiar with, then the illustration isn't going to help. Second is it needs to be clear. Uh, It needs to be clear so that it takes an abstract concept and makes it concrete. So we need to rehearse it and we need to tell it in such a way that we're not chasing rabbits, but we're to the point and it's clear and we land it uh, without too much turbulence and it helps to make the point. The third is it needs to be interesting. Mm. Now, again, this is audience dependent and go back to my sci-fi comment for me. Uh, it's, it's audience dependent in that it may be interesting to one group and not interesting to another, but I'm going to throw up a caution with interesting. It's got to be interesting in and of itself and create interest in the text. Right. That's a good observation. That's good. If it's just interesting and it gets their mind thinking about the current event or whatever you're talking about, then you are at counter purpose because we're not there to entertain. Right. We are there uh, to proclaim the word of and, God. And you're there to illustrate the truth of the text, yes. not just, as you said, be entertaining, and certainly not to present something that is distracting, that causes a person to go spinning off into a different direction in their mind where they're not even thinking about the text anymore. Good point. Well, that brings us to the fourth one. Your comment mm-hmm. is a good bridge. It needs to be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Not every illustration is appropriate for every audience. And just as, you know, a good metaphor to understand illustrations is that it shines a light on the text. Right. Well, that same light that's shown on the text, if it's moved to where it shines in the eyes of the audience and blinds them and keeps them from being able to see clearly what's in the text, maybe because it's offensive to them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe... Uh, um, because it's just um, not age-appropriate or for any number of reasons. It shines the light on the text, not in the eyes of the audience. And so it's important to keep their attention on what you're you're saying. And so you could end up red-lighting an illustration that's otherwise perfect. But if it's not appropriate for this audience and and these people— Right. And and I don't know if my explanation made it sound like um, just off-colored or something. I don't really mean that. No, I know that's exactly right. You're talking about just choosing carefully based on the audience, not not doing something that's inappropriate or scandalous or off-color, but just something that really fits that audience itself. Well, for instance, when you were a chaplain with the Giants, I doubt if you used many baseball illustrations to None. make a point. None. You had no sermons, home run for Jesus, None. right? None. Uh, because that just wouldn't be appropriate. You've got limited amount of time. You get in there, you make your point, and those guys have a baseball game to play, and you're functioning uh, mm-hmm. to bring the gospel into that arena. It would be inappropriate for you to show that you're a real baseball fan. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, let's talk about two of those. The, the, the last one, it, it being appropriate, and the, what was the first one again? Familiar. Familiar. I want yeah. to get back to that one. You know, you're it's illustrated with sci-fi would not really connect with you. Not with me. Okay. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. Um, I think it's important when you're thinking about your sermon illustrations in a or teaching illustrations in a classroom setting, when you're thinking about those, to think about the breadth of the audience sitting in front of you. One of the things I challenge students to do is say, which illustration will appeal to a 13-year-old girl? Mm-hmm. Which illustration will appeal to a 40-year-old businessman? Which illustration will appeal to a college student who's there? 
you, you not every illustration in a say thirty or forty minute sermon will connect with every person equally. Right. But you want to make sure that all your illustrations are not in one vein or directed toward one person or drawn from one area area like sci-fi. So it's appropriate to use one that maybe not everyone in the room will connect with completely, as long as the other three or four illustrations in the in the presentation do connect with those people. So think about your illustrations as a comprehensive part of your message, not just some standalone thing that, that you're trying to put forward. And then this other comment you made about appropriateness. I, I, I believe that, that you can tailor a message based on the illustrations. For example, if I'm preaching on a Ten Commandment, one of the Ten Commandments that says, honor your father and mother, and I'm preaching on that at a senior adult conference, well, I'm going to have illustrations about honoring parents that deal with what do you do with your aging parents and how do you care for them and honor them. But if I'm teaching that same Ten Commandment, honor your father and mother, at a middle school retreat, I'm going to give very different illustrations about what that's going to look like because the audience is different. And so the appropriateness is not so much about being off color or being risque or being scandalous. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being appropriate for the people who are sitting in front of you and making sure that illustrations take into account who's actually there and who you're trying to really connect with. Yeah, very good. Now, along the same line, can, can an illustration really be effective in one sermon or one context? And really ineffective in another. In other words, you'd make, as you said earlier, you'd red light the illustration. I like that that uh, imagery. So you do make a choice to use some, not use some, and go back to others, and depending on the sermon itself. Yes, and I mean, I've I've experienced this where I've used the same illustration in the same sermon in a different context, and it worked one place and it didn't work another. So I can just say experientially. Absolutely. But from a theoretical standpoint, I would say, of course, because when you're judging the appropriateness, the familiarity, whether it's going to be interesting, at least those three characteristics, those are all congregational dependent. Mm -hmm. So it's where you are. So uh, when I guest speak somewhere, I, I, you know, I usually ask three questions. How do you want me to dress? Mm -hmm. What do you want me to preach? What's the text? And then who's the audience? Mm -hmm. Who am I going to be speaking to? That third question is the most important question because the other two things are dependent upon that third thing. Right. Uh, you know, I never want to create phone calls for the pastor on Monday morning when I, right. when I preach at their right. church. And so I want to fit in as best I can. But if I'm really going to minister, I need to know who's there. Right. And I don't just mean demographic information. As much as the pastor can tell me, then I can do a better job shaping the message. And then, of course, uh, you know, ultimately we pray and the Lord leads us and, 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 and then on the spot make decisions of, this isn't going to fly. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not going to – and I would rather something go unillustrated than tank a whole sermon with a bad illustration. Right, exactly. So it's it's not just an issue that a sermon illustration can work well in one location and not another. It also can work well in one location of the sermon but not in another. Well, that's a really important point. I talk about the emotional investment and emotional depletion that comes with some illustrations. For example, I have a particular sermon that 
uh, opens with a very moving emotional story. I have another sermon that I – and I use that illustration very effectively in that context. I had another sermon once that I preached, and I used an illustration early in the message that was so emotionally depleting, so emotionally draining, that I literally felt like the audience uh, uh, emotionally and mentally got up and left after the illustration. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't hear much I said after that because I had exhausted them with the emotional dr- drama and uh, really – pain of this illustration. So you're right. Not only uh, the illustration itself, but where it is, not only the location that you're preaching, but the location in the sermon itself does make a difference in how you might use illustrations. So the introduction, you use illustrations that help create interest. Right. You wouldn't do that at the end. You want to wrap up. So at the end, you use one that'll help them experience the text, apply the text. Yes, and I completely forgot that in the sermon I'm referencing today, and I <laughs> used the illustration that should have been nearer the end, nearer the beginning, and as I said, I, I really, really ended my sermon a lot sooner than I intended to that day. So well, let's. But I want to move on to talk about uh, another really big pressing issue, Jim, and that is the use of personal illustrations. Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, you mention a lot of different kinds of illustrations, personal, fresh, biblical, hypothetical, historical. I mean, there's a whole lot, and we understand that. We don't have time to cover the whole book today. But I hear a lot of preachers and teachers use a lot of personal illustrations. And there's certainly nothing wrong with some personal illustrations. Right. But let's talk today about those. Um, what would you say about using personal illustrations, some do's and don'ts, some guidelines, some helpful things that would keep us from making a mistake in this area? Well, I would, I would give you four uh, principles to use with this. The first one is make sure you're authentic with this. Uh, if you say it happened to you, make sure it happened to you. Don't borrow a story from someone else uh, because you'll lose credibility uh, very quick uh, because they are fact-checking you while you're preaching. Uh, So uh, be aware of that. And it just won't sound like you. Right. There there will just be a disconnect. Lack of authenticity and a disconnect, yeah. Mm -hmm. So second, you need to communicate in an ethical manner. So if it involves other people, no story is exclusively your story. That's exactly right. So if it involves other people, you need to get the permission, and you need to make sure that you are not violating any boundaries and you're not breaking any confidences. Uh, So even when they're giving you permission to tell the story, how you tell it – and, and, you know, if I I can just give a little parenthesis here – we need to be careful about being the hero of every story that we tell. That's exactly right. I was just thinking that exact phrase in my mind, Jim. Talk more about that. Well, if, 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 if when we tell these personal stories, we are all super pastor coming in with our cape and we're saving the day and they're completely wrong and they, were, you know, they, were, they, they just didn't understand at all, but I came in with this full understanding. Right. I always led maturity. the person to Jesus. I always saved yes. the family. I always, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so you just don't do that. And the other thing that I would mention about this is you never, 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 did I mention never mm-hmm. use an illustration out of your counseling ministry, even if it was from another church? Right. You never mm-hmm. do that. Because you are breaching a confidence and destroying your 
counseling ministry there. No one wants to be a sermon illustration. That's exactly right. So authentic, ethical. The third would be proportionate. They should not be the only type of illustration you use. Probably should not even be the most common illustration you use. When I was, uh, let me just interrupt you, Jim, mm-hmm. and say that when I was in preaching class a hundred years ago, my preaching professor said this: "The younger you are, the less interesting your life is, <laughs> and the more you seem to want to talk about it." Man, that just really confronted me because he nailed me there. I was young, I was excited, I was talking a lot about myself in my sermons, and I realized. You know, my life may not be that interesting to all the people who are hearing me today. Now that I've been at this 40 years, I probably have a lot more experiences and a greater breadth of experience. But quite frankly, I think who would want to know about that? So I, I probably now should share more. But your 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 point is well taken. We need to limit these, not expand them in our teaching and, and preaching. And Dr. Orge, we're about the same age. I think you're slightly my senior. Um we were young a long time ago. Right. And when we were young, the primary value of the church was not authenticity. It was excellence. Mm. That's what was being preached at all the conferences we went to is we need to be excellent, not right. authentic. That's not the case with these young ones today. And so they're tilted towards the personal illustrations because of that high value of keeping it real. Right. And sometimes... They're keeping it real is very uncomfortable for me as a listener. Right. Especially if they're talking about a current struggle. Right. And uh, something that lacks seasoning. They haven't lived with it long enough to really be talking about it as openly as they are. Which brings us to the fourth principle is it needs to be suitable. Mm. There are some stories that are suitable for a gathering of granddaughters and grandmothers and some that are not. Right. And we need to know the difference. We need to have the discernment to know the difference. Let me talk a little bit now about this personal illustration from my perspective. First of all, I underscore what you've just said and agree with it completely. When I teach on this, Jim, I I really emphasize something you said just a moment ago, and that is you have to have permission from people to share personal illustrations, especially your children. What I discovered when my children were very young, they would say, sure, go ahead. But when they got to be about 10, 11, 12 years old, the answer turned into no, because they didn't want to be talked about in public, especially in those vulnerable years of adolescent development. Now, I've carried this forward in my writing ministry. I have used my children and some of our family stories in some of my books. But each time I've done that, I've actually sent the chapter to my child or to my family and said, uh, do I have your permission to put this in print? And if they, if I don't, I don't use it. But in most cases, they've written back and said, yeah, that's fine. You can do that. And one of the reasons they've said yes is because of something else you just said, which I want to underscore, and that is I'm not the hero of my personal illustration stories, especially the ones I put in print. My wife's the hero. My children are the heroes. I'm not the hero. And because of that, they're, they're willing to do that. Now, I want to say something now that uh, is going to tick off a lot of listeners, so just prepare yourself. Stop using your children on social media as well. Stop posting pictures of your children randomly online. And here's why. what I mean. You say, oh, but it's so cute. Well, it may be cute now. But when that child is doing something cute now, he's 13, and those pictures are brought before them in a in a group by people who are going to tease them and bully them and make fun of them, as teenagers often do, 
you're going to regret the day you were so open with all of this stuff about your kids when they were younger. And the same thing when you're using them in sermon illustrations. You may think, oh, it's so cute now. But remember, what you're saying is being preserved somewhere. Somebody's recording it or putting it on a tape or putting it on a, a video, and it's going to be seen somewhere, and that's going to be reminded as they go forward of what you said about them even years before. So Jim and I are both advocating today. Personal illustrations, they're good. They do establish authenticity, and they are occasionally appropriate. But do not make such a heavy dependence on them, and especially be careful in using your family and how you use them in illustrations and even in other kinds of public venues. Now, when you talk about kinds of illustrations, though, you you give a whole lot of other kinds. And Mm -hmm. one of them is using biblical stories or biblical illustrations. This is also a common thing that we do. So what are some uh, perspectives on that? Is it good to use the Bible to illustrate the Bible, or should we not do that? And what are some things about that? This was my biggest surprise in doing this research, that there is controversy over this issue. Mm -hmm. There are two camps, and they're both very strong in their belief. One says the only adequate source of illustrations, materials, should be biblical illustrations. And the other says, this is God's inerrant, infallible word. You cannot use it as a sermon illustration that denigrates it. And the interesting thing is that both camps use the very same argument for their position, that it's God's holy word. One says, because it's God's word, it's a more powerful illustration. And another one says, you cannot lessen it. You cannot use it in that way. And I really uh, took the argument seriously and, drew, and, and did a, a good bit of reading of the positions of those that took this. And I came to a middle position. I actually changed my own view on this. Mm. I came to a middle-of-the-line position, and I would say, yes, use biblical illustrations, but make sure that the story makes the point that the narrative uh, makes. That is so helpful. I recently heard a presentation on uh, – helping pastors recover from moral failure, and the illustration was the life of David, which is completely irrelevant he wasn't a pastor. to that argument. That's exactly right. right. And so you've got to be careful when you use a biblical illustration that you make sure it actually illustrates the text you're preaching and makes the real point you're trying to make. So go ahead. Um, so, um, and that takes additional exegetical work. It does. Uh, but if we're going to tell this, and, and I'll tell you the danger with both of these types of illustrations, the personal and the biblical, is they can creep into a sermon unintentionally mm. because you're very familiar with your personal life and you're very familiar with the Bible stories. And it's easy in a moment where you're seeing the congregation isn't quite getting what you're saying to pull one of those out of your hip pocket and use them. And there's great danger in violating uh, uh, mm-hmm. these, these things that we're talking moment, about with yeah. that. So the second uh, uh, principle that I would say in my middle position is do not spiritualize the events of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not increase the spiritual. I mean, sometimes there's stories in the Bible just because the author is telling us what happened, not because it's a, right. a major point. Right, right. Uh, sometimes it's descriptive. And so be careful about that. And I would say with any illustration, but especially when you're handling the Bible, do not shift it, alter it, sand it, chisel it. Do not do anything to make it fit your point. Right. 
And that is so tempting to do when you know you need an illustration and you're looking at the clock and you've got a counseling appointment coming up. It's so easy to do. So I would say yes, and the big benefit of using biblical illustrations is I've noticed that uh, preachers uh, tend to either be uh, love to preach the narrative passages, which comprise more than the majority of the Bible, or they love to preach the epistles. And if they focus on one epistle to the next, then we have two-thirds of the Bible ignored. So if they use biblical illustrations, at least there's some exposure to it in the main event. And so I'm, I'm really a big proponent on using them. I am too. I just think we have to be careful, just like we do with personal illustrations, that we use biblical illustrations appropriately. Now, coming to the end here, you mentioned that there are some different kinds of illustrations that are not used as often or as frequently. Do you have any of those that you'd like to see sort of raised up a bit, if you will, that would be more popular and you think would be effective if we could use them more often? Yes, the historical illustrations. Mm. Um, uh, they're in the minority, and I actually gave them uh, better treatment in the book. The four infrequently used, th- the three infrequently used, I dropped down into just one chapter. Everything else got a chapter. And the historical, I expanded it because I do believe their secondary function, the value of it is so important that maybe we should do more of it. And, and the secondary function is it puts the Christian life in a broader context than yes. where we're living yes. now. Mm-hmm. And it gives us a good perspective. The same thing could be done by using illustrations from the mission field or another cult- cultural context. However, that comes with a challenge because now we have to set two horizons. We're trying to bridge the gap with the unfamiliar biblical culture, and we're doing that with the unfamiliarity of a historical mm-hmm. culture. Yes. And so we could end up having to illustrate the illustration if we're not careful. Right. And so uh, if, it, uh, if it can be quickly done, setting the context, then I think it would greatly benefit the church uh, with the ethical applications of the Scripture if we could see it lived out other than just in our current context. Well, Jim, let me give you the last word here. You talk at the, in, your, in your book about an illustration having the servant's role mm-hmm. in the sermon. What does that mean, and how is that a good way for us to wrap up today? Well, the sermon, the uh, illustrations can never be the master. They are the servant. They are there to serve. They serve the sermon. We don't use the sermon to showcase the illustration. The illustration, uh, why it should be memorable, should make the sermon memorable. Right. Make the text sing. Make the text. Yes. Yeah. If all they remember is the illustration, you failed. Right. But if they remember the text you were illustrating, and they experienced it in such a way, so they shouldn't just be interesting. They should stimulate interest in the sermon. Second, they serve the text. Uh, we don't force. And man, this is easy to do. We don't force a good illustration into a bad sermon. Mm-hmm. We just don't do it. We don't make the sermon bad with a good illustration. We don't use it to make ourselves look smart, creative, clever, authentic, up-to-date, relevant. We don't use it for any of that reasons. They serve the text, 
And if they shine a light on the text, then use it. If they don't, don't. Mm-hmm. If you need to get, if you if you have a need to impress other people, please find another venue to do that. That's a good word. Don't do it in the sermon. And third, they serve the listener. Mm. Ultimately, we work hard at illustrating our sermons because we love these people and we want to serve them. And we want to help them bridge the gap from what is familiar to them to something that is unfamiliar so that they can better understand, apply, or experience the text. So make sure that your illustrations serve. Don't let them be the master. Well, I'm going to let that be the last word. That's an outstanding uh, insight, or set of insights from Dr. Jim Wilson, who has written the book, Illustrating Well, Preaching Sermons That Connect. This book would be helpful to all of you who are preachers, but also those of you who are teachers in any context to be better able to use illustrations in excellent ways. And then also we referenced the freshministry.org website, and now coming up on the 10th volume of illustrations that uh, Jim has put together. These are resources we're offering to you, encouraging you to use as you work on learning to illustrate well. A significant part of all that we do as ministry leaders is communicating the truth of God's Word in various contexts and in various ways. An important part of doing that is learning to illustrate well. Put it into practice this week as you lead on.